Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. In the battle between cars and pedestrians on the streets of America's biggest city, cars seem to be losing. Is that such a bad thing? I'm Tim Sheld, and with me in... The 880 In-Depth this week is WCBS 880 reporter Steve Burns, our de facto transportation expert. Did you like how I wrote that in the first version? I think I said (laughs) expert on all things planes, trains, automobiles, bikes, bike lanes, buses. Anything that moves. (laughs) Steve has done extensive reporting on a lot of these areas, so I asked him to come in this week to talk about what I see as a subtle revolution taking place in Manhattan. Cars seem to be losing favor. Pedestrians are winning, bikes are winning, buses are getting more love. Our streets and avenues, in Manhattan at least, are changing day by day. Fewer lanes for vehicles, more access for people. Steve, is that a good thing? I'd say it's a it's a good thing if you are trying to get around in, in one of those ways outside of a car. It's kind of been a, a long-simmering revolution that we've found ourselves in. Of course, we know the history of New York City. It was built with cars in mind. We all know what Robert Moses did, building highways, building bridges, building tunnels. And that, of course, led to more people finding it inviting to get in a car. And we found uh, a lot of our streets were just built with cars in mind. You look at some of the big avenues going up and down Manhattan, and they're six, seven lanes wide, and all of those lanes are given over to cars. And it's the, the big realization now is that we don't need to give every inch of space on our streets to cars. It can go to buses. It can go to bikes. It can go to pedestrians. Let's give a couple of examples of where pedestrians or bicyclists or buses have have won, in in a sense, against vehicles. Let's look at a couple of things. I mean, we, we operate down here in lower Manhattan on Hudson Street, and right in front of our office is a street, a north-south street that's got uh, new bike lanes, right? That's, and, yeah, that's, that's and new bike lanes, I mean, they're popping up everywhere. This was something that was really, uh, it got underway in the Bloomberg administration uh, and his transportation commissioner, Jeanette Sadek Khan, was uh, huge on bike lanes. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of uh, appropriate to introduce this with a, with a cut from Jeanette Sadek Khan. We talked to her for our big breakdown project. Uh, we put together a podcast uh, about a month ago, uh, Road Work Ahead, and she kind of crystallized it for me when she talked about all of her efforts in the Bloomberg administration to, to kind of give people other options other than just a car. Building more roads just builds more congestion, you know, and we've seen this. We need to provide ways to make it possible for people to get around without having to have a car. But you're not going to get them on a bus or a bike or walking by, you, know, you can't wish them onto a bus or a bike or, or walking. You have to provide high-quality, attractive infrastructure for them to be able to do that. And we need to sort of change the balance of what we're investing in. Mm. And it's not just roads. It's about choices, and it's about the kinds of outcomes that we want to see. 
So it's not just about hoping people get on a bike or hoping people get on a bus. It's about making those ways of transportation attractive, and then that's how you get people on those things. Well, it's forcing behavior. Right. It's incentivizing behavior. It's forcing behavior, and it's at the same time discouraging other behavior. And uh, a lot of the time now, that's discouraging car use, and that's, of course, what has made people... Uh, made this issue so polarizing. So part of what we see in a street like Hudson Street or, you know, name name any of them up on 7th or 8th Avenues up on Hell's Kitchen or in, in places like that in Manhattan, you also lose a lane of traffic so that the parking now is off curb so that the bike lane is along the curb. Am I yeah. uh, correctly? So there's actually, I've heard stories from a number of people, my wife included, who turn a corner and get behind a car and don't realize because she's off curb or they're off curb that she's actually in a parking space in what years ago, maybe six months ago, was actually a lane of traffic. Yeah, that, that's, I'm sure that's happening all the time. They've actually kind of created these buffer uh, cement blocks or concrete blocks that uh, are at each end of the intersection just to try and give people the hint that this is no longer a travel lane. But what you're referring to is, is what they call a protected bike lane. And that's really the kind of the gold standard now. It's not just plopping a bike lane down where cars are going by, you know, six inches or a foot next to you. Uh, bike advocates, I heard one of them recently just say, that's garbage. That doesn't really do anything for us. They need some amount of protection uh, from moving vehicles. And that's what uh, that's kind of the gold standard now. And, and obviously, we should mention how many bicyclist deaths there have been this year. Yeah. I believe uh, last count, there were 28 this year. Uh, that's up from all uh, from 10 all of last year. So that tells you that something needs to change, something needs to be done to try and help these bicyclists. It's interesting because there, there is a debate on the mass transit front about state police or other adding police uh, to make subways safer, or that's the presumption. You know, maybe some of these officers, state or city, can help make the streets safer because it is the wild west in some cases out there with the bikes no oh yeah definitely and and when you see i know a lot of people complain about bicyclists going the wrong way down the street or ignoring traffic signals that really speaks to them just not having the the best alternative or the best route to take if you're giving these bicyclists attractive ways to get around they'll take those those roads if they don't have them then they'll resort to some of those tactics like going the wrong way down the street or, or speeding through intersections. It's all about making things as inviting as you can for them. And, of course, that comes at a cost to, to cars and, and drivers. So you were saying before we started recording that there is a new master plan for bike lanes in the city? Yeah, Streets Master Plan. This is something the mayor just signed a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, to introduce it, I believe we have a, a wrap from Rich Lamb uh, where he gives some of the, the numbers behind this. The $1.7 billion plan envisions a five-year schedule, 250 miles of protected bike lanes, 150 miles of protected bus lanes, redesigning and resignaling thousands of intersections. Is Speaker Corey Johnson going after drivers? This is not about punishing cars. This is about making our streets safer. And a lot of car owners, a lot of people that drive vehicles, are also people that cross the street to go to the grocery store, that walk their child to school, that are a resident of New York City that has to contend with congestion and with unsafe streets. The master plan requires a total overhaul of the DOT and is not scheduled to start until very late 2021. At City Hall, Rich Lamb, WCBS News Radio 880. I think the big catch here is that uh, Mayor de Blasio only agreed to sign this if all of this went into effect 
as he's leaving office. It was originally supposed to be basically as soon as possible after the bill signing, but now it uh, is only going into effect at the end of 2021, which is as he is stepping out the door at City Hall. Well, I mean, Corey Johnson has a fairly okay argument, but his issue really about safety, I mean, nobody's going to argue against having safer streets. We want safer streets. There's no question about that. Right. But why are why are people in automobiles being penalized? Because people in automobiles cause the vast majority of injuries on our city streets. That's, that's just city statistics. Uh, you can worry as much as you want about bicyclists going the wrong way down the street, but they're not going to die unless a car hits them. So it's, when you talk about adding bike lanes or, or making more space for pedestrians, it uh, shows that, you know, city streets don't need to be all about cars. And, and the city has, has told us that streets that have bike lanes actually turn out to be safer because the cars slow down a little bit. They're looking around. And, of course, when you have more bicyclists, which, of course, a bike lane encourages, the more bicyclists you have, the safer it is for all of them. It's, it's safety in numbers. It is gridlock alert season in Manhattan. Uh, it just means a lot of uh, pedestrian traffic, a lot of holiday traffic. People just come I mean, you know what it's like around the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree it's when, when it's when it's lit. You can't even walk on the sidewalk. It's right? like being on a rush hour subway train, except you're on a sidewalk in Midtown. It's it can, unbelievable. It, it actually can be scary if you were there with little kids. And, sure. And, and it, it is a real. So give the city credit for trying to manage crowd control. Correct. Sure. It's it's the new initiative that they just started actually this past weekend, just after Thanksgiving. Uh, and and I was there as the uh, the barricades got put out for the first time, and I believe we have uh, a report from Friday afternoon on that. People that have jammed themselves into Rockefeller Center to ice skate or see the famous tree likely cheered the news. 49th and 50th streets around the plaza will be closed to cars through most afternoon and evening hours during the holiday season. But to Gerard Fitzgerald, president of the Uniformed Firefighters Association, this is going to cripple us. He says this will only make their response times worse. That's going to force drivers to use other routes which is going to jam-pack those areas, and then you're going to have a ripple effect going out to river to river. Fitzgerald maintains it's part of a bigger pattern as the city takes more road space from cars and gives it to buses, cyclists, and pedestrians. On the other hand... I don't think closing down two through streets is going to cause mass chaos. City Councilmember Keith Powers advocated for the closures. He says they're always open to adjustments. I'm confident after talking about it with Department of Transportation and NYPD, that we will have the right balance here. FDNY spokesman Frank Dwyer says they'll work closely with NYPD and DOT to ensure the safety of New Yorkers and visitors. Steve Burns, WCBS News Radio 880. So it really speaks to this battle over who owns our streets. Uh, and, and later on in the interview with, with Gerard Fitzgerald, the FDNY union head, I basically said, is there a way for bikes and pedestrians and buses to coexist with the the needs of your department uh, of getting emergency vehicles through these areas quickly. And he said, no, not really. I mean, we need as much space on the road for cars to travel as possible. And that basically, that whole philosophy flies in the face of what the DOT is doing right now. Uh, and of course, I, I think one important thing to point out here is the concept of induced demand. This is something that people uh, get confused about a lot. More space for cars does not mean the road is going to move faster. When you add space for cars, more cars are going to come. Might be nice in the short term, but in the long term, it just gets slower. And that's why we see lanes that are added on freeways and highways get filled up really quickly. We looked at the 405 in Los Angeles where they added a lane and it was nice for about six months. And then traffic was just as bad, if not worse. 
giving more space to cars is going to just cause more congestion in the long term. That's a concept I think a lot of people uh, need to heed in this discussion. The other complaint that I had heard about the um, this holiday plan up uh, around the Rock Center Christmas tree came from the MTA that didn't seem to have been consulted on this project because they use Fifth Avenue, for example, uh, for express buses in, right. in an area. They really move a lot of people in that corridor. And now they've got, at least when this is in effect, and we think it's um, all of weekends probably, and then five in the afternoon every weekday or something like that. Yeah, the hours vary, but it's it's most of the time it's afternoon and evenings is when the roads are closed. They have fewer lanes for their express buses. Right. So we've, we're encouraging people to get on express buses and now giving them fewer lanes to travel. Yeah, that was kind of, it took us all by surprise. I think those that covered uh, the Rockefeller Center plan is that the MTA uh, city transit president, Andy Byford, came out with a statement saying, this is bad. This doesn't prioritize buses at all. You didn't take us into account at all. And obviously, this is the first year the city is doing it. Uh, there was some confusion at the beginning. Mayor de Blasio uh, basically shot down the plan at first, saying this was some uh, rogue agent at the DOT that put this out without approval. And then a couple of weeks later, he, he came back and said, oh, it's I guess it's not too bad. Let's try it out. So it's it's still definitely a work in progress. This is the first year they're doing it. Keith Powers, the council member there, actually told me he'd like to see this year-round, but it doesn't sound like City Hall's ready for that yet. Speaking of year-round, uh, you spent a lot of time last year, or actually months ago, uh, working on the plans for the um, L-Train shutdown, which actually never came to pass. Yeah, that was painful. Uh, but, but, but there was a resultant, uh, if that's a word, there was um, a, a what came up as a result uh, was the express bus uh, plan uh, on 14th Street, yes. a, a carless 14th Street. How would you describe it? I would describe it as a bus prioritized 14th Street. Cars are still technically allowed on 14th Street. This is daytime hours. They just have to make the first turn off that they can. So basically only local pickups and drop-offs are allowed there. But uh, the rest of the time, it's just buses, all buses all the time. And actually now, according to the calendar, they're actually going to start writing tickets that count, right? Starting in December now. Yeah, first you just got warnings, but now they have cameras mounted over the lane itself. They have cameras on the bus that will take a picture of your license plate, and the ticket is zoomed off in the mail from there. I want to get into whether or not all these things are money grabs, but I want to hold that conversation <laughs> for congestion pricing when, yes. we, when we wrap this up. But 14th Street, it's actually not a bad idea. No. And, How and has it worked? It looks like for at least bus riders, it is working well. Uh, travel times on the M14 are down 38%. Used to take them 17 minutes through that stretch. Now takes them 10 minutes. Ridership is up 22%. Uh, so from all uh, all intents and purposes, it looks like for bus riders, this is working well. Of course, we've talked to several people that live on the surrounding streets, 12th, 13th, 15th, 16th. Uh, their anecdotal evidence says that backups are just prodigiously bad uh, during especially rush hours. Uh, there was a, a company, a, a data management company called Inrix that, that analyzed the traffic on those surrounding streets. They said the change was negligible. So it really kind of depends on on your perspective. Uh, if you're there at the worst times of day, it is going to look bad. But apparently it hasn't changed uh, traffic too much, which goes to tell you that cars aren't just going to go to the next available street. Cars look for the easiest way around. And it's it's kind of like how water flows down a stream. It's not necessarily just going to the next available street. It's whatever pathway is the path of least resistance for cars is what they're going to take. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're just going to go one street over. It's an interesting combination of solutions. I'm not sure that they're all under the umbrella of a master plan, so to speak, but they are contributing, aren't they? 
It, yeah, they are contributing. It's what it's what Jeanette Sadek Khan said. You need the attractive alternatives, and you need to create those alternatives before you can expect people to get on a bus or on a bike. And do you expect that 14th Street? What, what did you call it? Was you, you're starting to talk like them, by the way? What was that? <laughs> How'd you describe that 14th Street? The, what, what do you the, call it? The bus prioritized 14th Street. I mean, the, the common term is just busway. I'll, okay. I'll go with that. Busway. Uh, any chance? We're going to see a busway somewhere else on another east, major east-west Manhattan yeah, thoroughfare. The, the funny thing is, after uh, you know a couple of weeks of the 14th Street busway, everyone was kind of waiting and seeing how it was going to work out. Nobody really wanted to say anything, and it became clear that you know this is working. People want to ride the bus, and that's a, a rare thing in New York City. So a lot of city council members, I believe Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer came out and said, "Hey." We're up next, you know, try our street. 125th Street is in the conversation, 34th Street, 23rd Street. Uh, but it, the amount of work it took for the city to get 14th Street off the ground, there were just endless amounts of lawsuits. Uh, I'm sure they want to figure out a more streamlined way to do this before uh, trying it out on other streets. Uh, as we end this year in, in a couple of weeks, um, I can tell you that one of the big stories during 2020 will be a conversation about another impactful program and that's congestion pricing yes it's going to be coming up uh the 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 big controversy is uh how do we know what the details are and who gets an exemption who doesn't get an exemption and people want to see that conversation played out in public and we don't know if it will or not it's a, a commission that's established by governor cuomo he chooses the members and there's no rule right now that says they have to meet in public there will be a vote in november on it or no? The, on the ballot? I believe is that the plan? In Albany, they've passed it already. It's yeah. already law. Yeah. And uh, the... We just don't know what the law is. Right. We just don't know what the law is. And the law will <laughs> and get revealed no to us. there are no public hearings. There are no public hearings to let us contribute to what the law is going right. to be. Right. And the law says the law will be revealed <laughs> after the elections in November 2020. That was uh, kind of a fishy thing they put in there. We'll only tell you what the details are after you have reelected us. So we, we may not actually have our represent, representatives be able to vote on the details of this. No. Can, can, do I spell lawsuits? <laughs> I'm sure there will be. Absolutely. If there aren't already, there definitely will be. Um, but it just goes to it's another part of that conversation of encouraging other ways of getting around and discouraging uh, other modes, especially cars. And it's it's a really interesting concept to me because this is one law that is designed to make people angry. I don't know if you can think of any other piece of public policy that it's it's uh, mostly sole goal is to get people angry. But the goal is that people get mad about that charge and they get so mad that they decide to leave their car at home and take something else to get in Midtown. Well, it is a more peaceful place without so many vehicles and honking horns. And it takes a lot to get a New Yorker to change their habits. And it's a gradual process. But it is occurring right in front of our eyes. I mean, streets are changing. The makeup, the topography with bike lanes and, and that kind of thing. But it, it, this doesn't work unless there's a working mass transit and suburban rail system, uh, or at least a, a, a better one than what we have now, right? Right. And we talk about a transportation ecosystem, and so often we say some people are car drivers, some people take mass transit. But it's really everything kind of working together and, and allowing people to make the switch if the mass transit option maybe is more attractive. Um, so, yeah, we did have a huge you know, crisis in the New York City subway system for several years uh, in this decade. 
from what the MTA tells us, it looks like things are back on the upswing. Subway on-time performance, uh, the last numbers we have are from September, 83% when it was 69% a year ago. Uh, Subway ridership is up. But we also have, as so often happens with the MTA, so many uh, fishy things happening behind the scenes uh, in terms of who's in charge. We had the whole drama over Andy Byford's resignation letter. Uh, Is Governor Cuomo uh, kind of moving the knobs and levers in there more than he should be? Uh, And, of course, that huge capital plan that's coming up. Everyone's so happy that we're getting all this investment, but we still don't know exactly where the money is coming from. So uh, the MTA seems to be doing a bit better, but the, the future is still kind of a big question mark for them. I will say the subways seem to be operating... N- not not bad. I mean, I'm, I, you can't say that for every line. I don't I don't ride every line. I ride the number one line more than anything, and it, you know it seems to be okay. Yeah. Um, the suburban. You talk about knobs and levers. Ray Martell is handling our engineering in here, and he's a Long Island railroad rider. And I, from time to time, including today, take New Jersey Transit and those two agencies. So suburban rails um, really need to pick up uh, their performance. If yeah. this whole thing is going to work, because I come in from New Jersey, he comes in from Long Island, and I don't want my car here, but I do need to get here on time, and I do need to get out back home in a reasonable uh, amount of time, and that's it's not working the way it should be working. Yeah, and that seems like uh, it just kind of was happening behind the scenes for so long in past years. Uh, we look at New Jersey Transit under Governor Christie, who who just slashed the budget year after year. And it uh, seems like, you know, it, it took some time for things to be recognized as a problem. That was the case with the subways. They basically blamed all their problems on overcrowding for so long and said, uh, we would be running fine if it weren't for so many people that wanted to use the subway. Turns out it was a, a multitude of other problems. Same with New Jersey Transit. It was just kind of a denial of problems existing. Uh, Governor Murphy, it's obviously a pet project of his. He holds press conferences on New Jersey Transit, seems like every other week at this point. And you're right. Things do need to improve, especially with congestion pricing on the way. You want to have that that attractive alternative for people to leave their car at home or in the parking lot in the suburbs and take mass transit in. It needs to be attractive first. Did you have some predictions for 2020? Did uh, oh know, yeah yeah <laughs> the, in the terms MTA, of transportation. The MTA capital plan is going to be a big one in terms of where's that money going to come from. It's a very nice wish list of projects. But is the city going to contribute? Is the state going to give as much money as the MTA wants? Uh, It's a big question mark. Streets master plan is a big one. Uh, The BQE is really going to be a huge, huge story. Uh, We're supposed to know, uh, they said by by fall, and I guess we still have a couple more weeks of fall left. There's a commission that uh, Mayor de Blasio established to try and figure out what to do with that uh, cantilever stretch of the BQE in Brooklyn Heights. And there are some serious calls coming from a bunch of different organizations that say, we don't even need it. Why rebuild it? It's just going to put more cars on the road, uh, especially in what people call a climate crisis. We can't afford to put more cars on the road. Uh, there are serious calls to just uh, either turn it into pedestrian space or just tear it down entirely. Uh, and I ta- I've talked to the head of that commission several times. He's obviously not there yet to say we're going to get rid of it. He d- is saying, though, that what we're going to see in the future is vastly different from what we saw in the past. 
So let's bring it full circle. Uh, we began the conversation with this idea that cars seem to be losing in the battle versus uh, cars and pedestrians, which is really not necessarily a bad thing because obviously we, we want safer streets. So if you reduce cars, you lower their speed, you make better transportation alternatives, excuse the expression, um, you know, it, it's a win-win. It's just reducing people's options. They're not happy about it, but it probably will make a more livable place with all this. Would you, is that a... Yeah, I'd say livable is a is a good word i mean when you talk about the debate over pulling away parking spaces for bike lanes or or city bike docks there are are a lot of people in this city and it's been built up over generations that just feel entitled to owning a car and that's you can't blame them when the city is as has such lax parking regulations when so much of our streets are are just space for cars but that tide is beginning to shift and that when the city tells you maybe you're not entitled to what you thought you were entitled to, it's going to make a lot of people very angry. I mean, I went to a congestion pricing press conference where pushing and shoving broke out. There was a, a meeting in a church basement in Brooklyn a few months ago about bike lanes where there was pushing and shoving and name calling and finger pointing. It is a very polarizing topic because of, of what this the, the culture of this city has brought for decades and decades. So it's kind of like a, a turning a battleship. It takes a long time to not only you know redesign the streets, but it's changing a mindset here that uh, the city is trying to do. It's it's not easy as we're finding out. Excellent. I want to end this with uh, one question to you. You're a street reporter uh, here at WCBS 880. How do you get around? I try to take bike or mass transit when possible. Obviously, if I could get rid of my car, I would in a second. Obviously, for breaking news purposes, if something explodes out in the suburbs, we need to get there pretty quickly. And a lot of the time, that's not viable by mass transit. But if my story is, I live on the Upper West Side, if my story is in Manhattan or maybe 30 minutes or less away, I'm usually on a bike or I'm on a, a subway train. It's it's just easier from my perspective because parking is terrible here. Um and streets can get endlessly backed up. It's I, I just find biking in subways more reliable. And I thank you for not charging all those parking expenses on, the, yes. on, on your expense report. <laughs> I'm sure so you're thankful you, for that. I am. Steve Burns, great. Great uh, 880 In-Depth. We look uh, forward to hearing more of your reporting on, on this important topic because it's it's going to be – it's about how we live, right? It's all about how we live, and it's about – the, what's so fascinating to me is how we incentivize behavior here. It's influencing people to make different decisions kind of subliminally. It's all very fascinating. Great. This has been 880 In-Depth. We're going to do one of these every week uh, with uh, different uh, anchor people as hosts to different reporters contributing on some of the reporting that they're doing, uh, digging into a local topic. So subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts. 880 In-Depth is here to stay. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.